are listening to episode 14 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 30, Diurnia Orbital, December 27th, 2372. When we got back to the ship, true to my word, I made a fresh pot of coffee. We avoided the logistics problem of how to drink it without enough cups to go around when a train of heavily laden grav pallets appeared on the dock outside the ship. As the pallets came aboard, it was an easy matter to direct the machine parts aft, where Chief Bailey checked them in as they came off the pallets. The three pallets containing galley equipment and clothing went up the ladder, one after another. By 0830, we checked in all the pallets and transferred the contents to the deck for unpacking and stowage. The case of coffee mugs solved the most pressing logistical problem of the moment. When Chief Bailey stumped onto the mess deck around 0900, he found Ms. Maloney and Ms. Arione unpacking the boxes of dishes into the dishwasher. I was surveying the pile of new cooking gear and considering how to lay out my galley. His eyes lit up when he saw the coffee urn. Uh, that's more like it, ain't it? I ask you, ain't it? He didn't ask anybody in particular, but instead pulled a mug right out of the case, rinsed it off in the sink, and drew off a cupful of Moscow morning. The ah sound of satisfaction was audible across the mess deck. How are we fixed for spares now, chief? I asked as he savored the brew. Right well now, Cap, right well. He sipped again, his eyes rolling up in his head in pleasure. You make this coffee, Cap? Yes, chief, it's something of a specialty. Well, Cap, you made a believer out of me with this one. You have. He sipped again. You got any kind of priority on what you want done first? I thought for a few heartbeats, distracted from the cookware by the larger needs. If you could fix the broken console on the brow first, and then replace the sail generator coils, stow the emergency suits in the suit lockers? I frowned. What else do we need to do before we can leave dock? He squinted his eyes and held his mug up to his mouth, his brow furrowing in thought before drinking. If it were me... I'd replace them bridge consoles now and stow the old ones. They'll let everybody get used to the ship just the once and not have to do it again later. He sipped and grinned at me. Of course, that's just me, Cap. That makes sense, Chief. You need any help? Not right yet. I'll get some help resting the consoles up the ladder to the bridge and getting the old ones down, but I reckon I can handle the other, Cap. I reckon I can. Holler if you need to, Chief. Oh, I, Cap, I will. He topped off his mug and ambled off the mess deck, clattering down the forward ladder, a tuneless whistle echoing in the empty cargo bay. Captain, how would you like this glassware arranged? Ms. Maloney stood next to the dishwasher, the door cracked open and steamy air billowing out. I stepped back and surveyed the available counters and cupboards. In just a few heartbeats, the sense of it came to me. I started pointing and calling out contents. Plates, bowls, cups... Regular glasses, flatware here, save that drawer for utensils, this deep drawer gets side towels. I'll put pots and pans there, griddle and cutting boards here. Dish cleaning supplies go under the sink. Broom closet there, floor cleaners and wax go there too. Miss Arione was trying to keep up with where I pointed, but Miss Maloney didn't try to follow the rapid-fire detail at all. I could see her nodding and measuring with her eyes. What do you want down there, Captain? She pointed to a couple cabinets under the counter at the far end that I had not assigned. Save those for now. I'm thinking maybe table linens when we get around to hauling passengers, or maybe an entertainment closet. She raked her eyes across the cupboards. Okay, Captain. Makes sense, she said at last. Miss Arione looked at her with a kind of, if you say so, look, and then looked at the pile of gear. No broom, Skipper? No swabs? Miss Maloney added, no shelf liners? 
I sighed and hung my head. Okay, stack the clean dishes on the counter for now. I pulled out my tablet and brought up the chandlery catalog. I clicked off the requisite items, adding them to an order. And buckets, Captain? Ms. Maloney asked with an amused smile. Ah, the glamorous life of a ship owner. Yes, buckets too. Anything else you can think of? I added two rolling buckets and two more small hand buckets. Ms. Maloney held up the container of dishwasher detergent. Thank you, Ms. Maloney. I'll get a case of assorted soaps and cleansers. Good thinking. I had to change menus, but the cleaning gear all came in handy case lots, and I grabbed one each, adding the cleansers and conditioning agents our laundry gear would need as I went. Ms. Arione kept frowning at the pile of stuff. As long as you're ordering, Skipper. Is there a can opener in this collection? I don't remember checking one in. I sighed and shook my head as I added it to the list. I hesitate to ask at this point, but anything else? Even Ms. Maloney laughed, but they shook their heads and I pressed the order button, paying the early delivery premium. After that, we settled to the work. We stowed the pots and pans, mixing bowls, cutting boards, knives and utensils, all found homes and secured storage. Dishes and glassware gleamed on the counter, waiting for the padded paper that would keep them from sliding around too much in the cupboards when they were finally stowed. We broke down boxes, bagged up the trash, and finished up as much as we could. By 1100, the galley was looking more like a galley, and the smell of coffee made it almost homey. All we need is food now, Captain, and it'll really be a galley, Ms. Arione said as she stood back and examined our handiwork. It's coming, Ms. Arione. I ordered about a ton of food this morning. A loud clunking clang shook the ship. It was over almost before we were aware of it, but it seemed to have come from the engine room. I headed down the passage and leaned over the railing to see the chief beside the fuse actor, leaning over and squinting at the readouts on the side of the unit. Are you okay down there, chief? He waved up at me. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry about that, Cap. That was the banging fuse actor barge linking up. He got a little rambunctious, but we're good. He leaned over and looked at the readouts again and bobbed his head a couple of times. Yeah, we're good, he looked up again. Say, Cap, any coffee left up there? Come up and get it, chief. There should always be coffee up here. Ah, uh, now that's a way to run a ship, yes, sir. Ain't it? Yes, sir. That's a way to run a ship. He waved. I'll be up shortly, Cap. As soon as I get this banging process started up, I'll be along. I walked back to the galley and met the wide-eyed stares of my deck gang. The Fusactor barge came alongside. Alongside, Skipper, Miss Arione asked, or inside? We chuckled while Miss Maloney looked back and forth between us. My tablet bipped and I opened a station net message from Miss Kingsley. Congratulations, you're about to become a multimillionaire in your own right. Your share of the prize money from the ship and cargo is something over 12 million credits, details attached. I pulled up the attachment and tried to remember to breathe. What is it, Skipper? Miss Arione asked. I found a seat at the table and reread the attachment carefully. Skipper? Miss Arione asked again. The auction on the Chernyakova, Miss Arione. My share of the prize money is. Twelve million. That's good, isn't it, Skipper? There was a tentative note in her voice. You don't look like that's good, Skipper. I'll get the money in a hundred and twenty days. Four months from now, sir. Yes, Miss Arione. Apparently those are the terms of the settlement for the bids. I looked up, feeling like I had my face under control. That's pretty good. Sir, didn't you sign a note? Yes, Miss Arione. Ms. Maloney frowned, but didn't ask the question that showed on her face. The klaxon sounded one long blat. Ms. Arione, would you see who's at the door? I think lunch has just been delivered. Lunch, sir? 
Well, a lot of lunches, Miss Arione. I hope that's our supply order. Oh, God, Sar, I hope not. I'm not up to putting away a ton of groceries just now. She laughed as she said it, though, and clattered down the ladder. Can I ask, Captain? You can always ask, Miss Maloney. Sometimes I may reserve the right not to answer, but I'll never penalize you for asking. The note? One of the investors in Icarus pulled out at the last minute and left me too short to buy the ship. William Simpson floated me a flat-rate note for ninety days against a share of the stock that didn't sell. Understanding blossomed in her face. Timing is everything, eh, Captain? Her carefully neutral expression seemed almost sympathetic. In most things, Miss Maloney, we've got ninety days, well, eighty-nine now, to find a buyer and sink that note. What are you going to do, Captain? She sounded genuinely curious. This is going to sound odd, Miss Maloney, but back when I first set sail on the Lois McKendrick over in Dunsany Roads, we had a saying. It seemed rather simple-minded in hindsight, but I saw it work again and again. A saying, Captain. Yes, whenever things looked bad, we'd say, trust Lois. Lois? The ship? Yes, Miss Maloney. It wasn't a blind sit-on-your-hands-and-wait-for-a-miracle thing. It was more like face your problem and deal with it the best you know how and trust that the ship, or more realistically, your fellow crew, would help see you through. And this worked, Captain? Not always, but it was surprising how often it did. She cocked her head and regarded me with a rather skeptical expression. So your strategy is trust Lois, Captain? I waggled my head back and forth a bit, indicating she was close. Actually, I'm thinking, trust Iris. She chuffed a laugh. Do you think it's going to work? I smiled and shook my head. No, not really, Miss Maloney. I think it's going to fail. Well, then why? Because it lets me put the problem aside for now. I can't do anything about it. Focusing on it won't solve it. Focusing on what might help, what could work, what I can do. And that'll move me closer as we go. Perhaps a solution will present itself. Who knows? Maybe Mr. Simpson will find somebody with eight and a half million to invest before the 90 days are up, and I can sink the note. What I do know is that worrying about it keeps me from doing the things I can do. If I can compartmentalize that by saying, trust Iris, that's good enough for me. Eight and a half million is a lot to compartmentalize, Captain. Can you really do it? An excellent question, Miss Maloney. An excellent question. I'll let you know in a couple of weeks. The ladder started dropping then, and we went out to help the chandlery workers deliver the food. Three stands, two urns of coffee, and several sandwiches later, we fed the workers while we were at it, we finished checking in and stowing the three-quarters of a metric ton of food. The work was painstaking and aggravating. We kept making mistakes as we got more and more tired. In the end, we ran out of pantry space, so I ordered them to stash some of the cases of canned goods and other non-perishables in the compartment next door as an expedient. Miss Arione took the workers down to the lock and opened it up so they could leave. She brought back my father. Captain, I found this fellow loitering outside our lock. Perhaps you'd like to have a word with him. She grinned and winked at the older man to let him know she jested. I stood there looking at him. The face that had stared out from that photo from so long ago. Wrinkled now, lacking hair, but the same eyes. His nose might have been a bit broader his mouth a bit more careworn. Dad? Ishmael? Can I buy a cup of coffee? He laughed, and I remembered it, the sound of it echoing from long ago, a sound I knew but didn't know I knew until I heard it. Yes, thank you. I've had enough of yours. It seems only right. Well, yes, but I always charged you for mine. I'll let you pay for this if it'll make you feel better. 
The coffee went into mugs and we sat at the table. We sat for either a very long time, or, or maybe a tick, before he asked, Why didn't you tell me when your mother died? I couldn't find you. I sighed, realizing how weak that sounded. All I knew was your name, and that you were somewhere in this sector. Maybe. That's it? he asked. I couldn't tell if the expression in his eyes was pain or amusement. Perhaps it was both. Yes, sir, and again when I went to the academy. My captain pulled a few strings, but you didn't show up on their census either. He shook his head. Yet of all the places in the universe, you come into my restaurant. Well, I knew you were here somewhere. Mother said we came from here, and you stayed, but it's a big quadrant. When I first came here, I did a network query for you and didn't find you. I just figured you must have moved away. He stared at me, curiosity painted on his face. And look at you, a captain. And you own this ship, this company? Well, this is new. I just signed for it yesterday, and I had to go into debt for it a bit. I can only imagine. He looked around at the mess deck and galley. You have a better imagination than I do, I said, because I couldn't have imagined going that far in debt even a week ago. We can take a tour, if you like. In a bit. Tell me what you've been up to. He laughed apologetically, like you can tell me about thirty-five stanyards and a few ticks. I grinned and gave him the highlights of growing up on Neris, mother being killed in a flitter crash, signing on to the Lois, going to the academy, moving to Diurnia. He listened in rapt attention, occasionally shaking his head in disbelief. My life is so dull by comparison, he said at last, the restaurant. I had a diner on the planet for a while after your mother took you and moved on. It was good, but one day I took a trip up here on a whim. He smiled. I'd never been off planet before. When I came up here and saw it, I never wanted to leave. The stars are so beautiful, and the people here, they're always interesting. I sold my diner on the ground and opened up one here. That was, heavens, thirty stand years ago. I've been up here ever since. I've been eating at your place for almost half that time. I shook my head. I can't tell you the number of times I've had breakfast looking at the back of your head. We sat there, slowly feeling less awkward, less foreign. I couldn't imagine how he must have felt to find a son. I didn't even have a son to find. I wasn't really sure how I felt. This was the man I never really knew, and because I never had a father, I never really understood what I was missing. Would you like to see the bridge? He gave a little uncertain shrug. Sure. I led him off the mess deck and up the ladder to the tiny bridge at the top of the ship. The scarred skin of the orbital drew his eyes. The brilliant reflections off the metal filled the bridge with an argent light. That's startling. It looks so close. It is close. We're only a meter or so from the outside of the orbital here. The docking ring on the bow keeps us sealed to the outside. He slowly scanned around the bridge, looking at the equipment, running a hand over the back of one of the seats. Eventually he looked aft and I saw in his eyes that I must have inherited the gene from him. He didn't say anything, really, but his mouth opened, and he made a kind of soft, oh, sound. I turned and looked out myself. It looks very different here than it does from the observation lounge, he said at last. It does, I agreed. We leaned against the armor glass and looked out into the dark together, eventually talking some more not so much catching up as learning about each other. I had a hard time figuring it out. After so long, I felt like I should have no connection to him. But I did. 
Eventually his PETA chimed, and with a start he pulled it out of his pocket. I'm sorry, but I've got to go back to work now, he said, looking up at me, and I realized for the first time that he really stood about ten centimeters shorter than I did. Duty calls, he added. I laughed a short laugh. This is something I know only too well. Come on, I'll let you out. I led him down the ladder and keyed the lock open for him. We stood there awkwardly for a few heartbeats and he held out his hand. I hugged him. I actually hugged my father. I don't know who was more surprised, him or me. We stepped back and he turned to walk out. Wait, the maintenance hatch, I called, and walked him out. How did you get in here anyway? I've heard all about that locked hatch this morning. I just waited for somebody to open it and followed them in. Wasn't it cold out here? I didn't notice. I keyed the maintenance hatch for him and he stepped through. Hey, Dad? I called. He stopped and looked back at me. Don't be a stranger, okay? Chapter 31 Diurnia Orbital, December 28, 2372. At 0500, I crawled out of bed. I really wanted to get the ship into space before the day ended, and there was still a lot to do. Unfortunately, I had one more administrative chore before I could launch legally. A quick pass through the head included a tussle with a shower door, which fell off its hinge, nearly banging my feet. I wrestled with it briefly before giving up and splashing water all over in the interest of getting clean. I keyed open my tablet and created a punch list. I started with a note to ask the chief to reattach the door, added another one to repair the towel rack in the second head. By 0520, I had the coffee ground and dripping, and an omelet pan warming. Onions, mushrooms, and ham went onto the cutting board, and my new knives made short work of them. The new galley setup felt awkward, and I suspected I'd need to make some adjustments. But for first meal, it felt pretty good. The galley lacked enough counter space to set up a full buffet, but I used what I had and set up a four-slice toaster next to the coffee urn. I thought the counter along the far bulkhead would work nicely, but the idea of setting up a chafing dish for four crew members seemed a bit of a waste. By 0540, I had the bacon going, and by the time things were properly ready at 0600, the chief had shambled onto the mess deck, dampish and looking a bit rumpled. He helped himself to coffee and flopped at the table. Oh, yeah, Cap, now this is a lot better. He sucked about half his hot coffee down and breathed more freely. Getting too old for all this excitement, I tell you, Cap. Too bangin' old. How's things in the back, Chief? Oh, fine, Cap. Good and fine. She's ready to jump when you say frog, Cap. See if she ain't. Well, I put in an order to get the hull numbers repainted last night. The stencil cart should be around this morning, and I filed course for a shakedown loop. Out and up. What time are we pulling out, Cap? I filed it for 1300 Should do, Cap. Should do. I didn't get those consoles replaced yesterday. Might be I could use a hand to get them changed out this morning after mess, huh? Think? Could be, Chief. Do you want an omelet? Oh, that'd be tasty, Cap. Right tasty. What do you want in it? Whatever you got. I ain't fussy, Cap. Bacon be good. Sure would. I pointed the spatula at the toaster. Could do the honors? He grunted and heaved himself out of his chair. He slipped four slices in, dropped the lever, and then refilled his mug while he was waiting. Ms. Arione and Ms. Maloney came in together. Miss Arione was used to seeing me at the stove, but it was the first time for Miss Maloney. She eyed me with an arched brow as she filled and sipped delicately from a mug. Miss Arione, what would you like in your omelet? Ham and cheese, Skipper. Miss Maloney? Mushrooms and onions, Captain. Cheese? Cheese we have. Cheddar Swiss or blue? Blue, please, sir. Uh, sar. She grimaced. Sorry, sar. Old habits die hard. 
You're doing fine, Miss Maloney. It's like a new language for me, sir. We all had to learn it at one time or other, Miss Maloney. That's why the CPJCT made quarter shares. I grinned and plated the chief's omelet and tossed a couple of crispy rashes of bacon on the plate. Your omelet, chief. Thank you, Cap. Thank you right kindly. He collected some toast, his plate, a fork, and settled at the table. He looked around uncertainly. Eat, chief. With me cooking, it's not like I can lead the mess line. Ms. Maloney looked puzzled and turned to Ms. Arione. Normally we eat in order of rank, Captain First, she said. It's kind of hard to do here. Ms. Maloney nodded. I can see that. It'll only be a few ticks here, and then we can all sit. But it's silly for you to wait and let your omelets chill, I told him. They're best right from the pan. In a few ticks, we were all settled at the table, regardless of rank order. Miss Arione kept looking at me. What is it, Miss Arione? Do I have spinach in my teeth? She laughed. No, Captain, but I just wondered about you and your father. How did this whole thing happen? My mother and father separated when I was four. We moved to Naris over in Dunsany Roads. She was a teacher at the University of Naris. The only thing I knew about him was they didn't get along, and he stayed in the Diurnia sector. I didn't know he was actually here on Diurnia, let alone the orbital. Didn't you try to find him, sir? Oh, yes, but even when I had help, nothing ever turned up. All I had was a name, and there are too many Wongs, and not enough Franklins. I have no idea why. Is that why you came here after the academy, sir? Ms. Maloney asked. I thought about it while I chewed and swallowed. It was probably part of the reason, Ms. Maloney, but really, your father was the only one to offer me a job. Almost everybody else in my class had an offer, and I was getting a little scared that nobody wanted to take a chance on an ex-land rat. I looked around the table and nodded to them. Thanks for giving us a little time last night. It was an unusual situation, and I appreciate that you all dealt with dinner on your own. Rosarione grinned. No problem, Skipper. I finished my omelet and toast and sat back in my chair. Okay, then. Ship's business. We're getting out of here this afternoon, providing nothing gets in the way. We've got to wait for the painters to redo the hull numbers and fix our names so we'll be legal when we pull out. That's supposed to happen this morning. We're ready to make rumbling noises when it's rumble time, Chief? Oh, aye, that we are, Cap, that we are. I'm looking forward to seeing what she'll do, I am. Excellent. I need to finish our astrogation updates and file our final flight plan right after breakfast, and I'm going to have to ask you two to square away the galley and mess deck while I do that. I looked across the table at Ms. Arione and Ms. Maloney. Of course, sir, Ms. Arione said. We'll have a lot more cleaning and painting and such to do. I'm planning on having us underway for a day so we can get a feel for the ship and give Ms. Maloney an opportunity to begin learning Helmwatch. She looked startled. Helmwatch, Captain. It'll be okay, Ms. Maloney. It sounds more challenging than it really is. Ms. Arione added. Mostly it's long and boring and there's not much going on. With a ship of this class, it's more boring than that. Most fast packets run on autopilot most of the time, and few maintain a bridge watch at all. That's always seemed like a dangerous practice to me, so the three of us will maintain the watch. A bit looser than we might with a bigger ship, where we'd have an officer of the deck and helm watch besides, but I want somebody awake and alert around the clock when we're underway. Sounds okay to me, Skipper, Ms. Arione said. Okay, then. Any questions? I looked around the table and got none. Good. I turned to the chief. I'll run the astrogation updates in the cabin. Do you want me to help you lug the new consoles up now? He shook his head a couple times. Nah, go get your updates kicked off, Cap. I'll wrestle the new ones on the elevator, and when they get up here, I'll bang on your door, and you can help me get them up there. That'll work. Yeah, that'll work. Very well. I looked around the table once more. Let's do it. I stood and took my dirties to the dishwasher, slotting them in for cleaning and taking a moment to snag one last piece of bacon on my way off the mess deck.
The rest of the crew followed suit, and I left Miss Arioni and Miss Maloney rolling up the sleeves of their ship suits and beginning to organize the cleanup. The astrogation updates had downloaded for me overnight, and I pulled them up, sorting by distance and priority. There weren't many for Diurnia local, but a few navigational warnings for stray rocks and the odd satellite outage existed for the outer edges of the system. I settled into the routine task, and memories of being a second mate on the tinker all came back. They eased me into the groove so smoothly that I jumped when the chief slapped my door and spoke to me. Okay, Cap, I can use you now. I surely can. I slipped out of the cabin, and in a couple of ticks, I helped the chief move the consoles up the ladder to the bridge. They were a bit awkward, but certainly not that heavy. We stood them up on the forward part of the bridge to give the chief space to work, and then I went back down to the cabin to finish the updates. In less than a stand, the chief had the old console swapped for the new, and I had finished up. To celebrate, I helped him lug the old units down to the storage closet. When we had them secured, I scampered back up to the bridge to check out the new gear. It was a bit newer than the equipment on the Agamemnon had been, but it worked just like every other console I'd ever worked on, just a smidge faster. Satisfied that the consoles were ready, I stood, stretched, and looked aft just as the stencil cart came into view around the limb of the orbital. Little more than a hard suit with a few extra appendages, the cart aligned with the ship to erase, then repaint the registration numbers in the ship's name. Within half a stand, we were ready for space. Realizing I had about a stand before I had to fix lunch, I refilled my coffee cup and went to the cabin to make a much belated first entry in the captain's log. If we were only going to get 90 days... I wanted those 90 days to be as full and memorable as possible. Chapter 32 Diurnia Orbital, December 28, 2372 So will you be assigning us ancillary duty, Skipper? Miss Arioni asked as we settled down to lunch. I thought about it as I finished my mouthful of sandwich. I'm sure I will, Miss Arioni, but morale and training officer are the two most important duties that fall under the heading of ancillary. She grinned. I was thinking of morale, Officer Sar. She cast a pointed look at Ms. Maloney. And I was thinking of training officer, Ms. Arioni. You can't very well assign me as training officer, Skipper, she pointed out. Will you be studying for a rating this round, Miss Arioni? Yes, Skipper, ship handler. Good choice. I looked at Ms. Maloney. Traditionally, the lowest-ranking member of my crew is the morale officer, Miss Maloney. That means the honor falls to you. Certainly, Captain. May I ask what the duties of that position are? I'd be disappointed if you didn't, Miss Maloney. I speared a tomato out of the salad and chewed on it while I thought about how to explain. Basically, keep your head up and your eyes open for dissatisfaction in the crew or for ideas that might make life aboard more pleasant for all of us. Then you can see what we can do about those ideas, and in most cases, bring your solutions to me. That's it? Well, if any member of the crew has a problem that they don't want to bring up to the captain, they can take it to the morale officer for consideration. She glanced at Ms. Arioni out of the corner of her eye. You're talking about the two of us when you say crew, aren't you, Captain? Pretty much, Ms. Maloney. I include the chief, but I'm guessing he has no problem coming to me with a problem every time he has one. He snickered. Oh, aye, you're going to wish you'd never brung me along, Cap, rightly enough. I'll be a constant pain in your side with all the bothering I plan on doing, seeing if I don't. I snorted a laugh. I'll look forward to that, Chief. In the meantime, if you'd look at the shower in the captain's head, the door fell off. I'd like it fixed when you get a chance. I reckon we'll be pretty smooth running once we get out there a bit. I do think so, Cap. Yes, I do. I washed down the last of my sandwich with some coffee and turned back to the ratings. Under the circumstances, you're off the hook, Miss Maloney. Appointing either one of you to morale officer seems rather silly, so I'll forego that for the time being. But if either of you thinks of anything we should be doing, let me know. We'll see what can be done. 
They shared a glance, and I smiled inwardly at the look. It does bring up an important point, Miss Arione, the ancillary duties. Would you show Miss Maloney the training materials? Of course, Captain. Training materials, Captain? Miss Maloney asked. Yes, Miss Maloney, it's a long time between stops, and moving up the ladder is one of the key activities after sleeping. The chief chortled at that. What I'd like you to do is look over the various ratings and work towards a full share in one of the divisions. Deck would make some modicum of sense, since the three of us are all we have for bridge watch, but if you think engineering, cargo, or even steward would be more interesting, go for that. The fleet-wide exams come around every 90 days. The last one was just a few days ago, so you have almost three months to prepare for one of the half-share ratings. Miss Arione will help you get started. She looked at me curiously. Even though I'm only here for a stanier, Captain. I can't force you to, Miss Maloney, and I'd certainly understand if you didn't want to do it, but each step has the potential for getting you into a higher pay grade. I could feel the smile tugging at the corners of my mouth as I thought of how very little the pay grade or even the share values would mean to this woman who probably made more in interest in a month than she'd make as a crewman in a stanier. Besides, it's something to do, and the more you know about how a ship works, the better and more effective you can be at your assigned duties. Speaking of assigned duty, Skipper, Miss Arione said, we don't have navigation detail assignments yet. If you'd stand by the lock, I'd like Ms. Maloney on the bridge. Chief, I'm assuming you'll be in the engine room, at least for this one. Oh, ICAP, I'm going to want to be down there where I can keep an eye on the boys and girls, right enough. Are they all ready to play the game, Chief? Tanks top, fuse actors ready to take over ship's power. Generators on standby. Kickers are ready to delight as soon as we're clear of the orbital cap. We're ready as can be. We are that. Thank you, Chief. He nodded his head and finished stuffing the sandwich into his mouth. Well then, if we're done with mess, let's pick this up and see if the ship will actually move, shall we? It didn't take long for us to throw the few dishes in the dishwasher, wrap the leftover cold cuts, and throw some cling wrap over the remaining salad. All the leftovers went into the cooler, and we topped off our mugs before going our separate ways. I managed to control my excitement pretty well until I reached the top of the ladder. There's nothing like an astrogation update to temper one's enthusiasm for sailing, but with the prospect of pullout, or in our case pushback, I could feel my heart rate climb just a bit. I'd been docked a long time, and I was ready to shake the orbital off my feet, if only for a day. The new consoles looked a bit out of place, a little too new and shiny compared to the rest of the bridge. I sat at the command console and realized we hadn't cleaned the bridge yet, and vowed to do so at the earliest opportunity. I opened the announcer and keyed the pickup. This is the captain speaking. All hands to navigation stations. All hands to navigation stations. I released the key, and Miss Maloney looked at me with an odd expression. I chuckled at the confused look. It's one of those peculiar things we do to make certain everybody knows what's going on, and if something goes wrong, nobody can claim it was because they didn't know. That announcement gets logged, so we use the announcer for a lot of things when we want to keep a record of what the crew knows and when. The explanation seemed to satisfy her. Thank you, Captain. Have a seat, Miss Maloney. You'll want to be buckled in when we pull out. She looked startled at that and at a bit of a loss about which seat she should take. I fired up the engineering console and set it to display ship's power and propulsion status. I patted the cushion in invitation. Have a seat, Miss Maloney. Her cool reserve returned, and after the briefest of hesitations, she sat down and buckled in. That's the engineering display. I've got the command display here. The ship's docking schematic with a red outlined oval at the bow of the ship glowed on the screen. At 1300, I keyed a channel to the lock. Secure the lock and set the doors to safe, Miss Arione. Aye, aye, Skipper, secure the lock and set doors to safe. The small speaker set into the console made her voice sound tinny. 
Watching from the bridge, I saw it took her a couple of tries to find the right settings on the lock, but the oval red on the screen eventually turned amber. As it did, the engineering display showed the ties to orbital power and air cut off. The ship was on its own. Secured, Captain. Sorry for the delay. No worries, Miss Arione. After we've pushed back, come up to the bridge, please. Aye, aye, Skipper. I sent a request to depart signal to the orbital traffic control, along with my flight plan file identification. I received acknowledgement immediately and permission to depart less than a tick later. I keyed the announcer again. All hands, this is the captain speaking. Prepare for a pullback in ten, five, four, three, two, one. I pressed the key that released the docking clamps and heard the low ka-clunk from the bow as the clamps released and locked back into their boots. At the same time, the amber figure on my console turned green. A quick check of hull pressure confirmed the ship's integrity was intact. I looked over my shoulder at the empty space behind the ship and nudged the helm control back a fraction. Maneuvering jets punched a quick pulse. Very faintly, I felt the moving lift feeling in my ears as the ship's inertial dampeners kicked in and we slipped gently backwards out of the dock. A quick entry in the navigation log marked the departure, and I looked over my shoulder to watch for traffic as I punched the maneuvering jets again to increase our delta V. Before we had gone a hundred meters, Miss Arione came belting up the ladder and threw herself into one of the extra chairs on the bridge with a grin at me. I grinned back and hit the lateral thrusters to spin us, killing the spin with a counter-thrust when the orbital was directly off our port side. We were far enough out that I had a good view in all directions. I glanced at the engineering screen and saw that the auxiliary power was online and ready, the fuse actors barely ticked over, and the sail generators were on safe standby. Are you ready for kicking the pants back there, Chief? I asked into the intercom. Oh, yeah, Cap, give her a go. I keyed up the auxiliaries and tickled them a bit to get them moving. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the power readouts climbing on the auxiliaries and popped the seatbelt latch so I could stand to get a better look around the ship. This was the trickiest part, but even in the thick of things near the orbital, there was plenty of room to maneuver, and nobody moved very fast. Still, it was possible to run down a hapless hardsuit or an out-of-position cargo handler. Within half a stand, we'd cleared the orbital's most restricted areas, and I fed a little more fuel to the kickers. Our course angled upwards and out of the plane of the ecliptic as we headed for open space. The ship rumbled from the auxiliary engines, a sound felt more than heard. In half a stand, a navigational display on my screen popped up to let me know we were more than a hundred kilometers from the orbital, so I took the impulse power up to twenty percent and hailed the engine room again. Are you still back there, Chief? Are well, you going to stop messing around up there and kick us, Cap? You got twenty in holding, not even a whistle back here. No, sir, not even a banging whistle. I spared a glance for Miss Arione, who had a grin pasted on her face. Her head seemed to be on swivel. She just kept looking around like she'd never seen cold space before. Miss Maloney seemed entranced. Her face glowed and her eyes gleamed in the light from the consoles. She sat in the engineering chair and gazed out aft to where the orbital and planet were slowly shrinking. We were still close enough in that the orb of the planet took up a lot of the view, but the orbital looked less like a city in space and more like a shiny tin can in orbit. I eased up to 50% on the thrusters and our rate of acceleration picked up. In comparative terms, we weren't doing anything like we would be after a few days under sail out to the edge of the deep dark, but it still moved us along in a goodly clip. The rumble in the space frame picked up with the extra power to the auxiliaries, but it was only barely audible. What are you waiting for, Cap? Invitation to dance? The voice startled me when it came crackling out of the intercom. I pushed the throttle up and took the auxiliaries to 80%. I winced a little to think of how fast we were burning fuel in them. 
The rumble became a low roar, and when I looked back over my shoulder, I could see the flickering brilliance of the escaping gases just visible behind the mass of the ship. As the power settled at the new level, I began to feel a different kind of vibration. It wasn't the steady buzz of the rocket engines vibrating with the almost musical scream of hot gas exiting through the ceramic nozzles. It was more of a judder, and it built rapidly until it felt like it was rattling my eyes in their sockets. I slapped a kill switch. The rumbling roar died as the auxiliaries went offline, and we continued on a ballistic trajectory. Chief, I called in the intercom. I had to wait a tick for his reply, but it came just before I was about to hail him again. I'm on it, Cap. Banging harmonics kicked in, just above 76%. Trying to find it now. There was a brief pause. How long till we pass the safety limit, Cap? I glanced at the position display and the countdown clocks. Half a stand at this rate, Chief. Okay, Cap. File it for now, then. We got more than enough to get home with. I'll let you know when we cross the threshold, Chief. Thank you kindly, Cap. Thank you kindly. What do you think of our new ride, Miss Arione? Well, that was fun, Skipper. A heck of a lot more fun than being tossed around by a tug. Her teeth gleamed whitely in the dim light of the bridge. A lot less mass to get moving here, Miss Arione. The Agamemnon mass is more empty than we ever will full. That's going to mean we jump sooner, too, won't it, sir? Indeed it does. Depending on our load, we can probably get to the Brolson limit in just seven to ten standard days. We'll be able to make the whole trip in less than a month, Skipper? Oh, yes, Miss Arione. We should be able to make it all the way to Jet before the Agamemnon could make it to the jump limit. I remembered my coffee and sat back down, cradling the mug in my hands as the timer clicked down. It was almost cold after nearly a stand, but I didn't mind. I just felt good to be underway. I turned to look at Ms. Maloney, who still sat staring at the receding planet. This isn't your first time out, is it, Miss Maloney? She dragged her face around to look at me, and I could see her blinking as if just waking up. Oh, no, Sar, I've often traveled. Just as a passenger, Sar. Her head turned to look back out at the stars all around us. This is the first time I've been able to see. Well, you'll have plenty of time to see, Miss Maloney. We'll see if you still like seeing by the time we get to Jet. A window flashed up on the navigation console, and I leaned in to key the intercom. Coming up on safety threshold, Chief. Are the girls ready? Oh, I cap, indeed they are. Spool them up easy at first so I can check the alignment on those new coils. Aye, aye, Chief. Easy does it. When we crossed the perimeter, I eased the grav keel out and slipped a bit of sail on. I couldn't hear the whine of the sail generators over the background thrum of the fusactors and blowers, but I imagined I could. Hold them there, Cap. Just a tick, just a tick. I watched our velocity ease upwards as the sails began biting into the solar wind. The helm needed only minimal control to keep us on course. Okay, Cap, the chief called through the intercom. Take them up to 50 if you can. I eased the sails up until we had almost 50%. The strain gauges were moving into the amber, so I had to keep them furled. As good as we can do, chief. It's a breezy day out there. I see it, Cap, I see it. After a moment, he asked, How's she handling? I rolled us a bit to the port and back to starboard. Beautiful, chief. Are the coils set now? Almost. Port side needs a tweak, Cap. Just a tweak. The intercom fell silent for a tick, and then he was back. We're nailed to the rail now, Cap. Nailed to the rail. Thank you, Chief. We're going to do some sailing now. Good enough, Cap. Good enough. I keyed the announcer. Now hear this. This is the captain speaking. Secure from navigation stations. Secure from navigation stations. Captain, doesn't it seem a little, I don't know, silly? Ms. Arione laughed at me a bit. It does, Ms. Arione. But what's it hurt? And if we start carrying passengers, they'll need to know, too. Oh, well, good point, Skipper. Are you ready to try the helm, Miss Arione? Oh, yes, please. She jumped up and crossed to the command seat. 
Ms. Maloney looked over with interest, her normally cold and rigid expression taking on something like animation. I stood up, and Ms. Arione sat down. It's a bit different from the Agamemnon. The joysticks are a bit further apart, so you can get to the keyboard, and the display is bigger because it's the full command display instead of just helm, but the idea is the same. I showed her how to open the course correction screen, and that gave her a familiar view with a glowing crosshair in the middle. It was the same view she'd had at the helm of the Agamemnon. She took a grip on the handles, and the crosshairs almost instantly twitched out of alignment. Ooh, aren't you the touchy thing, she said to the ship. It didn't take her long to get the feel for it, even lowering the sail slightly to pull the strain level back and giving us a nice smooth ride. Very nice, Miss Arione. Thank you, Sar. She began to relax a little at the helm. Now, would you teach Miss Maloney the finer points of helm watch? Me, Sar? Her voice fairly squeaked, and I thought Miss Maloney paled a bit, although in the dim light it was difficult to tell. You, Miss Arione, it's good practice for your ship handling exam, and I need more coffee. I headed for the ladder very deliberately. You have the con, Miss Arione. Before I got my head below the level of the deck, she called after me. But, Sar, what happens if I have a question? Yell, Miss Arione, I'm just being the galley. With a private grin, I dropped down the ladder. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. Thank you.